Admittedly, I find most Sunday homilies bear a certain amount of risk. Is what needs to be said, uh, will it make sense, will it be helpful? Uh, today is no exception, except maybe for the extended length of, of this one. What I wanted to do is offer some thought experiments from a book called uh, Lost in the Cosmos, the last self-help book written or was written in the 80s, so a few of its examples are dated, uh, but I hope you'll find it beneficial uh, for diagnosing the present state of things in our country, at least. So come along for a ride if you'd like, or remain lost in the cosmos. Imagine that you're reading a book about the cosmos. You find it so interesting that you go out and buy a telescope. One fine, clear, moonless night, you set up your telescope and focus on the brightest star in the sky. It's a planet, not a star, with a reddish spot and several moons. Excited, you look up the planets in your book about the cosmos. You read a description of the planets. You read a sentence about a large yellowish planet with red spot and several moons. You recognize both the description and the picture. Clearly, you have been looking at Jupiter. You have no difficulty at all in saying that it is Jupiter, not Mars or Saturn, even though the object you are looking at is something you have never seen before and is hundreds of millions of miles distant. Now imagine that you're reading the newspaper. You come to the astrology column. You may or may not believe in astrology, but to judge from the popularity of astrology these days, you'll probably read your horoscope. According to a recent poll, more Americans set store in astrology than in science or God. You are an Aries. You open your newspaper to the astrology column and read an analysis of the Aries personality. It says, among other things, you have the knack of creating an atmosphere of thought and movement, unhampered by petty jealousies. But you have the tendency to scatter your talents to the four winds. Hmm. You say, quite true, I'm like that. Suddenly, you realize you made a mistake. You've read the Gemini column. So you go back to Aries. Nothing hurts you more than to be unjustly mistreated or suspected. But you have a way about you, a gift for seeing things through despite all obstacles and distractions. You also have a desperate need to be liked. So you've been wounded more often than you'll admit. Hmm, you say, quite true, I'm like that. The first question is, why is it that both descriptions seem to fit you? Or for that matter, why do you seem to recognize yourself in the self-analysis of all 12 astrological signs? Or to put it another way, why is it that you can recognize and identify the planets Jupiter and Venus so readily after reading a bit and taking one look, yet have so much trouble identifying yourself? from 12 descriptions when presumably you know yourself much better than you know Jupiter and Venus. How do you explain these odd little everyday phenomena which, with which everyone is familiar? You've seen yourself a thousand times in the mirror face to face. No side is more familiar. Yet why is it that the first time you see yourself in a clothier's triple mirror from the side, so to speak, it comes as a shock? Or the first time you saw yourself in a home movie, were you embarrassed? 
What about the first time you heard your recorded voice? Did you recognize it? Clearly you should, since you've been hearing it all your life. Why is it that when you are shown a group photograph in which you are present, you always and probably covertly seek yourself out to see what you look like? Don't you know what you look like? One of the peculiar ironies of being a human self in the cosmos, a stranger approaching you in the street will in a second glance see you whole, size you up, place you in a way in which you cannot and never will, even though you have spent a lifetime with yourself. You live in the century of the self and therefore ought to know yourself best of all. The question is, why is it that in your entire lifetime you'll never be able to size yourself up as you can size up somebody else or size up Saturn in a 10-second look? Question. What does the sales lady mean when she fits a customer with an article of clothing and says, it's you. A, she means the same thing the customer means if you should ask her. It's becoming to me, it looks nice. I don't have a thing to wear, it does something for me. B, she means that it, the hat, blouse, hairstyle, dress, actually accentuates your best features, eyes or hair, while minimizing your worst, no neck. C, it will please your husband. D, it will impress other women. E, most other women are already wearing it and you look unstylish without it. F, the sales lady means what she says. It really is you. That is, you're not much without it. You perceive yourself as mousy and you are a something. Yourself, in fact, your new true self with it. Check one. But if the sales lady means what she says, and since you have gone through any number of such styles in the past, then it must follow that the other articles in the past were also you and are no longer. How can that be? It could only be because some sort of consumption takes place. The emptiness, which is you, has devoured the style and been sustained for a while until the style is emptied out by the empty self. The suicide rate among persons under 25 has risen dramatically in the last 20 years. It's much worse now, sadly. A recent survey disclosed that the symptom of depression outnumbered all other medical symptoms put together. On a daytime radio psychotherapy talk show, 80% of all women calling in reported they were depressed. The in incidence of drug use in teenagers and preteens has increased an estimated 3,000% in the last 30 years. On a recent talk show on tough love, it was claimed that about one-third of all teenagers were depressed. Of the one-third, as many as 75% were on drugs. In one small southern city, a study of the families of the upper socioeconomic class revealed that 79% of the daughters left home after high school, moved into apartments, and either attended college or got jobs. After five years, 53% of the unmarried daughters had returned to the homes of their parents, and 43% of the married daughters. Typical responses? I didn't like it out there. It is too much. I couldn't cope. I got sad. In one Midwestern town, 27% of high school students dropped out and stayed home. Chief complaint? I can't cope. Question. Are people de depressed despite unprecedented opportunities for education, vocation, self-growth, cultural enrichment, travel, and recreation? A, 
Because modern life is more difficult, complex, and stressful than it has ever been before. B, because for men, competition in the marketplace is fiercer than ever. C, because for women, life as a housewife is lonelier than ever. D, because for young people, education is more inferior than ever, leaving one unprepared to face the real world. E, because belief in God and religion has declined, and with it, man's confidence in the place of the self in the cosmos, in the chain of being, and in its relation to others. F, because the self nowadays is other-directed rather than inner-directed, and depends for its self-esteem on its perception of how others evaluate it, something like a beggar in a crowd with his hand out. G, because the self, despite an embarrassment of riches, is in fact impoverished and deprived, like Lazarus at the feast, having suffered a radical deprivation and loss of sovereignty to the experts, fact-checkers, Google, Siri, Alexa, the government. The word boredom did not enter the language until the 18th century. No one knows its etymology. One guess is that bore may derive from the French verb borière to stop. Question. Why was there no such word before the 18th century? A. Was it because people were not bored before the 18th century? B. Was it because people were bored but didn't have a word for it? C. Was it because people were too busy trying to stay alive to get bored? D. Is it because there is a special sense in which for the past two or three hundred years, the self has perceived itself as a leftover, which cannot be accounted for by its own objective view of the world, and that in spite of an ever-heightened self-consciousness, increased leisure, ever more access to culture and recreational facilities, ever more instruction on self-help, self-growth, self-enrichment, the self feels ever more imprisoned in itself. No, worse than imprisoned, because the prisoner at least knows he's imprisoned and sets store by the freedom awaiting him. Boredom is the self being stuffed with itself. F. Is it because the self first had the means of understanding itself through myth, albeit incorrectly, later understood itself through religion as a creature of God, and now has the means of understanding the cosmos through hard science, but not itself? because the self cannot be grasped by hard science, and that therefore the self can perceive itself only as a ghost in a machine. How else can a ghost feel otherwise toward a machine than bored? Check one. Thought experiment, the last one. Imagine that you are a member of a tour visiting Greece. The group goes to the Parthenon. It's a bore. Few people even bother to look. It looked better in the brochure. So people take half a look, mostly take pictures, remark on the serious erosion by acid rain. You're puzzled. Why should one of the glories and fonts of Western civilization, viewed under pleasant conditions, good weather, good hotel room, good food, good guide, be a bore? Now, imagine under what circumstances a viewing of the Parthenon would not be a bore. For example, you are a NATO colonel defending Greece against the Soviet assault. You are in a bunker in downtown Athens, binoculars propped on sandbags. It's dawn. A medium-range missile attack is underway. Half a million Greeks are dead. Two missiles bracket the Parthenon. The next will surely be a hit. Between columns of smoke, a ray of golden light catches the portico. Are you bored? 
Can you see the Parthenon? Explain. Why does the excitement originating in violence seem to alleviate your boredom? Friends, if we, if our self can't be known or analyzed as an object like Jupiter, but you don't believe that, how would you analyze and help human beings? If you can't improve yourself by adding more clothes to your closet, how can the goal of education be to get a job with good pay and benefits? If we're the, if we're the products of blind evolution, just like everything else, how would you address behavioral problems? Through behavioral modification techniques, chemical alterations, restraint as a last resort? What else is available? Debate the availability and type of guns in our country. Free speech is necessary for a free society. But does that address the underlying causes? If our heroic public school teachers and administrators can only form children without reference to the transcendent realities from which the self originates and finds its identity, can we be surprised if kids seek something with which to fill the void? Material goods, virtual reality, drugs, violence, gender ideologies? I just learned that some schools are beginning to install litter boxes for kids who identify as animals. They're called furries. You can't make this up. If you're feeling overwhelmed by the state of things, the tragic shootings, societal dysfunction, political dysfunction, and such, listen again to St. Paul. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, resulting in knowledge of him, not about him, but personal knowledge of him, which enables the eyes of your hearts to be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope that belongs to his call. That is, where you come from, who you are, your identity, and your purpose, which extends beyond the grave. Without this solid ground on which to stand, we're susceptible to every passing fad and suggestion, winding up lost in the cosmos. Friends, we have this extraordinary opportunity here at JP2. We're tasked with building a parish from the ground up in a most difficult time. Look at the opportunity we have in this tumultuous time to be light, a beacon in darkness, situating all we do in the larger context of what it means to be a human being. From the architecture of our buildings to our liturgy to the holistic way we are as a community and especially as we form our children. God has called us at this moment to this purpose. Hear his call. Be the light the world needs.